All right. Hello, Christ community. Really glad all of you are here. Greetings to our traditions venue. And uh, for those who are uh, engaging online, man, glad all of you are a part of this. So Christmas is like less than three weeks away. Does that not freak anyone out? I mean, I feel like I feel like I lost a week somewhere. I was eating turkey on Thanksgiving and then like blinked and it was the first week of December or something. I don't know. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know, something happened. Um, and, and, and it's it, it, like in December got compressed into three weeks, you know, and whenever anything time-wise gets compressed, the result is stress, right? Uh, stress. I mean, for the last few days, I've been wondering how am I going to get done all the things that I need to get done in the next two and a half weeks in terms of shopping and Christmas parties and preparing for Christmas Eve services, all that stuff. Now, if any of you can relate to any part of that, I'm really, really glad you're here because today we're going to be looking at a part of the, the Christmas story that speaks directly to our hearts in the midst of our stress and chaos, <clears throat> It's the story of the Magi, or the wise men, as some, sometimes referred to as the wise men, in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. And what's, um, what's so inspiring about this story is that these Magi reveal this beautiful and simple and practical way to experience Jesus in this season. Now, these magi, they were men of, of, of significant wisdom and influence and spiritual sensitivity, and they traveled from their homeland, probably in Persia, to find the newborn king of the Jews, which is a journey of about a thousand miles on foot, right? A thousand miles. Why did they make this journey? Did they find some great deal on camels through Travelocity? Uh, were they just looking for, you know, looking for adventure? No, no. We see right up front, right up front in this story, we see what this is about. We see what this whole journey is about. Look, look verses one and two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Why did they make this journey? One reason, to worship Jesus. This whole passage, this whole journey is about worship. That's what kept them going in the midst of this long journey in the desert, miserably hot during the day, miserably cold at night, sand blowing into their sandwiches, you know, sleeping in tents, all of that stuff. Lots of stress, lots of hassles, but none of that distracted them from their purpose to worship Jesus. See, the, the Magi show us how they show us how not just to survive the holiday season, but to actually thrive in the holiday season. And that is by engaging in the worship of Jesus. Now, often when we hear the word worship, we instinctively think of singing, right? We think of singing, which is absolutely a part of worship. But worship is so much more than that. It is not, it, it's not something that is limited to a worship service. As, as we're going to see in the example of the Magi, the Magi, worship is a way of life. Worship is a way of life. Worship is the key to all of us thriving in the midst of whatever circumstances we're, we're facing. <clears throat> okay, so what does genuine worship look like? Last week, Rocky Martinez, our worship director, did an amazing job showing us how the Magi were seekers of God. 
They lived in this reality of a God who speaks through dreams and, and his word, and they were passionately seeking him and pursuing him. I don't know about you, but I was so inspired last week by Rocky's message to be a seeker of Jesus with all of my heart, to make Jesus my passionate pursuit. Okay, so, so last week we learned that genuine worshipers earnestly seek him. They are, they are seekers of Jesus. Well, as we continue today in the story, we're going to explore together a second aspect of, 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 of worship. When the, when the Magi get to Jerusalem, they're not, they're, they're not shy at all about letting people know exactly why they're there. Verse 2 again. Where is this one? They're asking everyone in Jerusalem. Where, where is this one who's been born a king of the Jews? We, we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here are these, these, these influential, highly respected leaders from Persia who are asking about a new king who has been born and, and they're expressing their desire to worship him. Now, one would think that to the Jews in Jerusalem who had been promised a Messiah who would save them from their sin, one would think that this news would be exciting to them. But it wasn't. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. King Herod was not happy with this news about a king being born. We're told that he was troubled. He was disturbed. Now, why is that? Because he was king of that region. He was king. The thought of another king being born was a threat to Herod's kingdom. This was not good news to Herod. See, notice here, notice the contrast that Matthew is painting here. These, these magi, these influential magi wanting to worship a newborn king and King Herod feeling threatened by a newborn king. See, notice what we learn here about worship. Worship is not just about what we sing. Worship is about who is our king. Who is king in our hearts? To, to worship is to give our allegiance to something or to someone. The word used here for worship in verse 2 speaks of, of, of bowing down in reverence. It is a posture of surrender. It's a posture of allegiance. And here's what I want us to, 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 to chew on and explore. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. Everyone, consciously or subconsciously, offers their allegiance to something or someone. In other words, everyone has something that is king in their lives. I mean, we like to think that we as humans are independent creatures. We are king of our hill. We don't have to surrender to anyone. We don't have to submit to anyone. We can just do our own thing. I mean, we can believe that, but reality tells a much different story. We all worship something. We all worship something. We, we all build our lives around and place our allegiance in something. And Herod shows us how we can identify what that something is. It's that thing in our lives that when, it, when we feel it's threatened, we freak out. We panic. We become anxious. We're thrown into despair. One critical comment from someone on social media, and we're devastated. Why? because we worship our image. One look in a mirror that reveals hair loss we hadn't noticed before, and we immediately feel depressed. Why? Because we worship our youthful appearance. 
We get a C on an exam and we're filled with anxiety about the future. Why? Because we worship our ability. One major stock market correction occurs and we can't sleep. We're filled with worry. Why? Because we worship our money. I'm not talking about bowing down before our GPA or our mirror or our financial statements. No, what I'm talking about is the clear evidence that our security, our significance, our joy, our peace, our heart, is being given to that thing, to having that thing, whatever it is, so that when it's threatened, whatever it is, but when it's threatened, we experience anxiety, we experience despair, because this thing is king in our lives. It's what we've given our allegiance to. Now, another biblical word for this is the word idol. The word idol. An idol is that thing that we must have in order to feel good about ourselves, in order to feel secure, in order to feel happy. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Often our idols are good things, that we have made God things, a happy marriage, well-adjusted children, a thriving career, uh, money saved in the bank. All of those are good things. But if our sense of value and worth, if our sense of joy and peace, if if our hope is placed in these things, we will be just like Herod. We will find ourselves deeply disturbed whenever these things are not happening the way we had hoped they would happen. See, this is a worship issue. This is a worship issue. We have made this thing king in our lives. We are giving it our ultimate allegiance. Again, worship is not about the songs we sing. Worship is about who is our king. For Herod, his allegiance was clearly given to himself, his own position of power and authority, being in charge. I mean, Herod's king, his first love was control, right? Not that any of us can relate to that, but Herod, his first love was control. That's what he worshiped. And that's why when the Magi asked this simple question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Herod freaked out. Herod was thrown into this, this place of intense fear and panic, a fear that eventually led him to slaughter every baby in Bethlehem to try to eliminate any threat. See, this is where our idols eventually take us, to places of fear and insecurity, to places of self-protection at all costs, to places of addiction as we keep pursuing these idols that that, that give temporary pleasure but they don't ultimately satisfy, and we watch our lives just kind of get destroyed in the process. Now, it's not only Herod, it's not only Herod in the story who gets pulled into this vortex of counterfeit worship. We're told in verse three that all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. So why is that? I mean, the whole city was thrown into the state of fear and panic at this mention of a newborn king. So what were the people, we get why Herod was disturbed, but what were the people disturbed about? Here's what I believe they were disturbed about. Their way of life was about to get upended with a new king. Life was comfortable the way it was. Don't rock the boat. Don't make Herod mad. Let's just keep the status quo. See, this is one of the most seductive idols of all. Our allegiance to our own comfort. 
Comfort is king. Whatever is the easiest path, whatever just keeps the peace, let's just do whatever makes us the most comfortable, whatever makes life the easiest. Now, why, you may wonder, I certainly wonder, why, as I was doing this study, why is this idol so destructive? Why is it so dangerous? Well, the text shows us why here. Here are all these Jewish people in Jerusalem, People who for centuries have been waiting for their promised Messiah. These are people who are familiar with the, the prophecy from Isaiah about the Messiah who would come and bring light to their darkness. We just read about that earlier. Who would, the, the, their Messiah who would be the Prince of Peace. They longed for they, long, they have longed for the Messiah. They've had their hope in a coming Messiah. And now they hear word that this Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. So what do they do with this news? Do any of them travel to see this newborn king, their promised Messiah? No. Well, maybe, maybe the journey was just too difficult. It's just kind of hard. It was a difficult journey, long journey. Do you know how far it is from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Any guesses? Six miles. It was an hour and a half walk, which was nothing in that day. An hour and a half walk. Why would they not make a six-mile trip? to worship the Messiah they had been longing for. It's because their longing for comfort overshadowed their longing for Jesus. See, this is what our allegiance to comfort will do. It clouds our vision of what is truly important. It clouds our vision of what is truly valuable so that worshiping Jesus, giving our allegiance to him seems eh, unimportant, undesirable, optional. Eh. They wouldn't travel six miles to worship their Messiah. So, what is that six-mile distance for you and me? What is it that keeps us from offering our hearts in worship to Jesus as our king? You know, I think about my experience of Thanksgiving um, last week, had a, a few days off, so, you know, four or five days off there, which provided a wonderful opportunity just to spend some time alone with Jesus and thanking him for all that he's done for me. Had a wonderful opportunity for that. But did I do that? No. Um, honestly, I spent a lot of time and energy finding deals on Amazon on Black Friday and Saturday and Cyber Monday and Technology Tuesday and Wardrobe Wednesday. I don't know. I don't know what they are, but I, I just spent a lot of energy that, during that time online ordering things. I mean, who was my king during that period of time? Who, who was I giving my heart to? We will move heaven and earth to carve out hours to binge watch our favorite Netflix series or spend hours on social media, but somehow have 
no time for Jesus. No time to spend in his presence. No time offering our heart to him. No time to worship him on our own or to worship him with our church family. We're too busy. We're too preoccupied. We're too distracted. We're too comfortable. We're too comfortable. So often, I am just like the people in Jerusalem, way more committed to my own comfort than to my Jesus. Worship is not just about what we sing. Worship is about who is our king. I mean, what is that six-mile distance for you and me? What is that? What, what, what is that that keeps us from giving our hearts in worship to Jesus, our King, and spending time worshiping our Savior? Now, there's another group of people, another group of people in the city of Jerusalem that day who also had a very interesting response. Okay, look at verse 4. When Herod called, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born. These are experts in the, in the Old Testament, right? In Bethlehem and Judea, they knew the answer. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, they're quoting from the Old Testament here, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is amazing to me. Here are these Jewish religious experts who know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They know of the promised Messiah. And they answer from the Bible the location of the birth of this Messiah as being Bethlehem. They know all of this. But do any of them make the six-mile walk to Bethlehem to seek out their Messiah? No. Why not? Well, see, for them, their allegiance was given to knowledge. Knowledge was king. They worshiped information. The most important thing to them was knowing the right answer. But did knowing that answer impact their lives? Did it touch their hearts? Nope. They knew the right answer. They just didn't do anything with it. I mean, we can know enough Bible verses to win some theological argument on Facebook and yet be completely clueless as to how rude and offensive we're coming across? Knowledge is our king. Let's get even more personal. Um, we can know exactly what Jesus teaches about the importance of forgiving people or loving our enemy or giving generously or whatever, but, but are we doing that? We know what it says, what Jesus teaches, but are we doing that? Are there places in our lives where knowledge has become king? Knowledge has become king rather than actually surrendering to Jesus, our king. See, all of the people in this story, all of the people in this story force us, and I think this is why this story is here. They, they force us to answer this question, who or what is truly king in our lives? Who occupies first place in our heart? This is a really important question, and quite honestly, it is a question that we can easily avoid. It's a question we can easily avoid. In fact, notice how King Herod avoids this question. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He needed to know that, so he needed to know, you know, in terms of how old the babies, this baby would have been born um, so that he could do what he was going to do in terms of slaughtering these children. So he, he finds out the exact time of the star. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Does this not make you want to puke, right? I mean, he is, he is pretending, he's acting like he is on their team. He, he is urging them to go, oh, go and find the child because I want to report back to me so I too can go worship Jesus. What a calculating slime ball. He is putting on, a, totally putting on a spiritual front, saying all the right words, acting like he's really interested in worshiping Jesus, but he's not. He is using the magi to get what he wants, a more fir firmly rooted grip on his power, on his kingdom. His allegiance is clear in his actions. His allegiance is clear, not in his words, in his actions. His words say nothing about what was really going on in his heart. See, th this is the very real danger of defining worship only in terms of singing because we can sing all the right words. We can say all the right things and yet all the while giving our heart allegiance to something other than God. Worship is not just about the words we sing. Worship is about who is our king. So a few weeks ago, my K-State Wildcats were playing a football game at 1.30 in the afternoon. I hate that time. Um, it's a terrible time for me, and it should be about me, right? But uh, it's a terrible time for me because I like to come in the Saturday afternoon about 2 o'clock and kind of pray through this you know, worship center and pray over my message and just kind of get my heart prepared. So that week, I came in early Saturday morning um, in this room, empty room here, but I was just praying through the, this worship center, and I was, you know, preaching through my message and all of that, felt really focused. So then at 1, so that was in the morning, so then at 1.30, um, I started watching the game. And at halftime, you know, I made my way to church, but even then I'm kind of checking the score on my phone and, and kind of looking over the message a little bit, I continue to check the score on my phone, and the game ends at 4.45, 15 minutes before our Saturday night service starts and I see the final score and they lost to someone they should not have lost to. Um, and I am ticked and I am disappointed and mildly depressed. These were all the emotions that I was feeling. And right then I had to walk into the prayer room right over here um, with our prayer team and our worship team and, and pray with them and then get ready to teach my message, it was this battle of allegiances going on inside of me. What am I looking to for my joy and, and my peace? To, you know, how, to how a bunch of 18 to 20 year olds perform on a football field or to Jesus? Where is my heart? Where is my allegiance? Where is our ultimate treasure? Who or what? is our king. Who or what is our king at any given moment? Who or what is our king? If it is anything or anyone other than Jesus, our reputation, our comfort, our knowledge, our political party, our football team, our money, if it's anything other than Jesus, the result will be exactly what we see in this story. Fear, anger, anxiety, emptiness, spiritual apathy, 
pride, hypocrisy, manipulation. Okay, that's the bad news. Uh, that's the dark part of the story. But I want us to focus here. We got to focus on the good part of the story, right? These magi. I mean, these are men with solid reputations. These are men with political influence. These are men with wisdom and knowledge. They had all, these are men with plenty of wealth. They had lots of creature comforts. But their heart was not attached to any of those things. They had all those things. But their heart was not attached to any of that. They enjoyed those things. They leveraged those things. But they didn't worship those things. Their allegiance, their devotion was directed to Jesus. They made it clear from the get-go what their objective was. We have come to worship the newborn king of the Jews. We have come to bow down before this king, to humble ourselves and to lay down our reputation, our position of influence, our wealth before Jesus because he is worthy of that. He is worthy of all of that. See, this, this is really, I think, the foundation of worship. I'll probably say this every week, but I, this week it is, okay? This is the foundation of worship. Worship is not just about the songs we sing. The essence of worship is a heart that is surrendered to Jesus as king. Where all the things that we trust in, all the things, all those things are our security or in our hope and joy, or in, all those things are laid before him and our allegiance is to him alone. There is this beautiful tenacity and humility and singularity of focus um, about these magi that is so inspiring and it is so refreshing. Honestly, it makes, this story has always inspired me and it, it does even more so in setting. It just, it makes me want to look at my own life and ask, where is my heart at right now? <laughs> Where is my heart at right now? Is, is my heart in this place of absolute surrender to Jesus where everything I value, everything I deem important, all of that is laid before him as an act of worship. See, this is not a one and done deal. Oh yeah, I had a sermon on that two years ago and I surrendered everything to Jesus as king and I'm good. This is not a one and done thing. No, no, this is a question that we are to be continually asking because it is so foundational to our spiritual lives. In fact, you think, oh, well, that's just the story of the Magi. No, 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 no. In, in later in the New Testament, in the, in the book of Romans, which is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in this, in this book, Paul, he, he, he spent 11 chapters just describing this amazing description of what our Messiah, Jesus, has done for us. He paid the price on the cross. He gave his life on the cross, forgives our sin. It's not about our work. It's about his work. 11 chapters of this amazing work that Christ has done. And then Paul says this in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. In fact, read this out loud with me. Actually, just verse one. Read this with me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is articulating for us what true worship is, what the heart of genuine worship looks like. It looks like us responding to God's mercy given to us in Christ. This isn't about us working to get him to smile at us and love us. No, no, this is about responding to what Christ has already done by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And the language of sacrifice in the Bible, obviously huge, huge, right? A sacrifice in the Old Testament was an animal that's offered to God by being slain on an altar. 
But in this context, notice who is on the altar. You and I. <laughs> we're the ones on the altar. And we're offering our lives to God. We're surrendering everything to him as a living sacrifice. This is a continual posture of the heart where we are offering ourselves to our king as, a loving, as an act of loving worship. And therein lies the challenge. This is the challenge. As someone has said, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. That is a problem, uh, right? The, uh, with a living sacrifice, you can sort of crawl off the altar. But, but here, here's the joyful irony. Here, here's the, the flip side of that. When we stay on the altar, when we stay on the altar, when we make that six-mile heart journey to Jesus, we find life. When we continually offer our allegiance, our hearts to Jesus, we find joy and peace and life no matter what is going on around us. And folks, I know, I know, I know this season can be brutally difficult. I know that with, with unmet expectations and loneliness and grief being stirred and disillusionment and comparison and family tensions and all of that. But even in the midst of all of that, let's let the story of the Magi inspire us to choose to love Jesus above all else. To choose to give our ultimate allegiance to him. To continually surrender everything to him as our king and our Lord. Because in doing so, we will experience the essence of true worship and we will experience the life-transforming meaning of this season, what this season is really about. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of the Magi who show us just that the invitation to worship is an invitation to surrender to love Jesus above all else, our selfish desires, our comforts, our knowledge. So let's just take a moment, all of us here. I just want to lead us in some responses. You don't feel pressure. But I believe the Lord is speaking to our hearts and the Holy Spirit wants to take this message deeper in our response. And so let's just take a moment and let's ask the Holy Spirit in the quiet of your heart. Let's just ask him, each of us ask him in the quiet of our heart, is there anything, is there anything I have been giving my allegiance to above you, Jesus? Right now in this moment, Lord, who or what is my king? So whatever he brings to mind, are you willing to surrender that to him? If so, do that. He loves you so much. He's not like, 
oh, how could you? He's like, oh, I'm glad you finally see. <laughs> I want your heart. And so just take a moment and just surrender that, whatever it is. Lay that on the altar. Surrender that to him. Tell him that you want, you want him, Jesus, to be your first love, your ultimate allegiance. So you can just kind of just sit in that reality, that prayer for a few moments here. I want to give another invitation. There may be some of you here, and what you need to hear is that this Messiah Jesus has come for you. He has come to deliver you, to forgive you of your sins, and to give you new life. It's a gift. Jesus is a gift. He came for all of us. He offers himself to you as a gift. Salvation is a gift. It's not something you have to work for. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something you have to try hard to clean up your life and hopefully God will accept you. No, 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 no. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. All we have to do is receive him and let him be king in our lives, trusting in his work on the cross. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know if I've ever done that, or you're thinking, I want that, I want a personal relationship with Jesus, then let me lead you in a prayer right now where you can open your heart and receive this amazing gift. So just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I'm separated from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus, you died in my place to pay the penalty I should have paid. I choose to place my trust in you. I open my heart now and I receive you. Come live in me forever. Forgive all of my sins and transform me through the power of your love. God, I thank you for anyone here who prayed that a prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that they would grow in this relationship now, following you in this love relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. So now I want us to, there's a third response. Again, this is a prayer response. If you're willing, great. If not, no big deal here. But I, I want to just invite you into a place of worship. And we're going to use our imagination here. And by the way, if you struggle to focus during singings after one song, you're like bored, your mind is all over the place, you can't focus or whatever, what we're going to do right now may be something that you find really helpful. A lot of people I know use their imagination when they worship, and it helps them stay focused. So we're going to engage our imagination here. So I want to invite you to imagine with me the scene from Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to describe this to you. God is on the throne. His appearance is glorious. Glorious. 
like brilliant light and jewels. It's just this brilliance and glory flow, just coming, emanating from the throne. I want you to imagine that. And we're told in Revelation 24 that 24 elders are surrounding this throne. They're seated on little thrones. They're surrounding this throne. They're dressed in white. They're wearing crowns of gold on their heads. Can you see this scene in your mind? You're just, you're just looking at this scene. And around the throne are these living creatures. They, they never stop saying, they're, they're kind of flying around the throne and they never stop saying, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever these creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne and who lives forever, whenever they do that, these 24 elders, they get off their throne and they bow down before him. And they worship him who lives forever and ever. So see that in their mind. Your mind, they're just, they're bowing down before him. And we're told that as they're kneeling there, as they're bowing down, as they're worshiping him, they lay their crowns before the throne. They take off their crowns. And they lay it before the throne and they say, You are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being can you see that in your mind they lay their crowns before King Jesus and we want to enter into this scene as participants today. Giving Jesus all the glory that he deserves, laying down our crowns, our accomplishments, our idols, whatever that happens to be, laying down our crowns before him. So as we sing, as the worship team leads us in this response, I want to encourage you to imagine, continue to imagine this scene in your mind. We are participants right now. We are participants in that scene. What crowns will you and I lay before our King Jesus?